All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? How's it going? Where are we at today? What's going on? So look, listen to me. Rachel Weiss is here today. And I got to tell you, well, you know, she's the Oscar winner, multiple Oscar nominee, multiple times. She's been in The Constant Gardener, The Favorite, The Mummy Movies, Black Widow. She's been on stage in London and New York. And she's in this new series on Prime Video, Dead Ringers, based on the David Cronenberg movie, where she plays twin sister gynecologist. And it's a doozy, man. It's a fucking brain-bending, mind-blower, gnarly mini-series, or limited series, they call it now. Not to remind people of what television used to be like by calling it a mini-series. The limited series. Limited makes it sound much more exclusive, much more fancy, much more highbrow. It's a limited series, not a mini-series. That's some... Miniseries, that's like old-timey NBC stuff. This is a limited series, artisanal. We made it special with special people. That is true. In this case, and in many cases, true stuff. So look, before I get into my insane reactions to that limited series, Dead Ringers, before I borderline make a fool out of myself in front of Rachel trying to explain my reactions, let's talk about other things. I flew down to Florida to uh, spend time with my mommy. My brother lives down there, so I was able to, to kind of hang out with family. I had some realizations. Now, my brother, I've known a long time, uh, all our, all our lives. I've known my brother and he's an intense guy as well. Not as funny as me. I would, I would say he's probably not as funny as me. He's probably a little more thoughtful in general and probably a little more, um, uh, looking for the thing. My bro has always been looking for the thing. I mean, I'm, I look for the thing, but it's usually, you know, in, in a buffet situation, I don't look for the big thing. I don't look for the big answer. I don't look for the big piece. I look for a lot of little pieces that I can either dip in sauce or just eat on their own. But Craig, my brother, is uh, he was a tennis guy all the way through my life. That's where we parted ways. I don't know how, you know, when you're kind of moving along with your brother or your sister or your sibling and it seems to be, a, in, you know, even like if you're older, they're taking a little bit of a beating. They're a little bit in your shadow. But we were kind of, you know, on, on a level playing field with the tennis at some point. Went to tennis camp. And, uh, and then at some point in tennis camp, it was just sort of like, all right, well, this is over. You know, it's like I'm done playing because I guess he just beat me again. So he went on to sort of, Commit his life to tennis in a lot of ways. He went to Nick Boletari's Tennis Institute. He was ranked in doubles uh, in his teens. Like in, he, and he went into a business after college, uh, created a tennis school. Like he's a, you know, you know, he's an athlete, my brother. Meanwhile, I was busy investigating cigarettes, Jack Daniels, uh, you know, bad friends. 
And then we somehow over the years met, we came around, you know, we, we met back in the middle. Like I never got involved with athletics really, but he did get involved with, uh, with the, with the bad stuff. And that's where we meet at the bad stuff, but also all the good stuff. We're very similar. So all this to say, my brother has been, uh, in a cult. I know it's been a while now. Like, I think when he was originally, he might be one of not the original members of the cult, but certainly second or third generation cult member of this cult. And it's a bit of a concern, but not, not terrible. I'm not totally freaked out. And I guess I should just tell you what it is to, to kind of get everybody aware. It's the cult of pickleball. My brother is in the pickleball cult. Now, look, it was a natural progression. He was a tennis player. He's now in his fifties. So, you know, pickleball just seems like, Hey, I'll just give it a try. And then it's kind of all you talk about and, and, and it's your social life. And it's, it's a, I'm not going to say it's a problem, but the way he presented it to me, like he, when he was telling me about it, you know, I went down to Florida, you know, I knew he was involved, but I didn't know that, you know, we might need to do an intervention because like, I, I, I don't know, really know what pickleball is, but I saw some videos. I'm like, Oh, I kind of get it. It's like, it's like miniature tennis with a wiffle ball and bigger, different paddles. And, uh, it looks like anybody can kind of play it. And that's where Craig was. My brother was telling me like, well, he wants to get into it on a business level in some capacity. I don't need to go into that, but he was telling me that, you know, he gave me the whole lowdown, man. It's different, man. This is a sport that's sweeping the nation. Everyone can play it. Anyone can play it all ages. You don't have to have any skill set. You can sort of just pick it up and, and kind of play. So it's like, it's never going to go away. Millions of people into it. It's sweeping the planet. Pickleball, baby. So this is the business pitch. And then he's like, you got to try it. And then he's like, come on, man. Like we're hanging out. Me and my brother, we're at his house. In Florida, we walk the dog on the beach. You know, we, we talk about it a little bit on the way to the beach and we talk about other stuff. And then we talk about the dog and we're, you know, walking the dog and then he's on the phone, do business. Then we get back to his house and his girlfriend comes home, her daughter's there. And then like, I don't know, all of a sudden it's like, we're going to go play pickleball. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, I, I didn't agree to anything. I didn't agree to the secret meeting. I didn't agree to get involved. It's like, come on, just come. You you play, you, you have shoes, you bring shoes. Then he's like, I got shorts. I'm like, I got shorts, dude. All right, just take it easy. I need the special shorts. I'm going to need a paddle. So we go out there, the four of us, and we play a game of pickleball. Now, the initiation is kind of, it's, it's engaging because you can play. I could play, you know, I kind of get it. But, you know, the scoring is tricky. So I think that's the first level. It's like, if you get... Into the game, then you're like, how, what is this scoring mysticism? I don't understand this scoring and how you announce the server and then the score and then the server again. I don't, I don't get it. Well, that's kind of second level shit, man. You can hit the ball and you want to get in the kitchen. What's the kitchen? That's the front box. You got to serve and then get in the kitchen. I'm like, what are you talking about? And it can't, it's got to bounce before you hit it back. If you serve like, whoa, 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 whoa. So now there was too much going on. They, they gave me too much information. They, they showed me too many tears before I really got into it. Now, here's the deal. I'm not, I'm, I'm, it's not going to be, do not worry. I'm not going to be in the cult, but it was fun. It was enjoyable. I don't really like to compete on that level. 
Yeah, I don't like competitive sports that much because I, I tend to do it with my mind and I make up a lot of the opposition. So, so that's where, I, where I'm at competitive-wise. Like, I like doing my exercise. I like doing the workouts I do and the hiking and stuff. And, like, you know, I don't, I don't even time myself. I don't try to beat my record or anything. I just do the stuff. The competitive thing happens inside. I don't need to be outside. I don't need other people involved. I don't need to see that part of myself. So that's going to stop me from that part of the pickleball experience. But I did enjoy it, and I could pick it up again. But I don't see myself buying paddles. I don't see myself buying shoes. I don't see myself hanging my paddle. I don't see myself hanging out by the court. I don't see myself saying, it's my turn. Who am I playing with? I don't see it. I'm not diminishing it, but it was a close call. I was brought in. I was initiated, but I'm not sure it's stuck. I don't know if it's going to but I feel like not, okay? But I had a pretty good time, and I'm glad the entire planet of a certain age, but Craig says, no, 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 no. All ages are enjoying pickleball. So I hung out with my brother. We went to uh, a couple vegan restaurants. I'm still vegan. Something's going on with that. Then I saw my mother. I saw my mother the first day. I saw my brother the second day, and I started to realize something about spending time with old parents. It's probably going to hurt her to hear that, but... She's old and she's my parent and her boyfriend, John is old, but you know, it's like, I used to be like, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to do? And you start to realize like, it doesn't matter. Just sit there, you know, sit there, you have the conversation. And then when they start repeating themselves, maybe you try to talk about something external and then, you know, just settle into it. Maybe they're going to go watch TV. Maybe they're going to putter around the house. Maybe they're going to feed their dogs, talk to their dogs. Maybe they're going to offer you food over and over again. Maybe the same food over and over again. But you just log the hours, log the time. Get the time in before you don't have time. So then we all went out to dinner. My mom, her boyfriend, and my brother and his girlfriend and her daughter. I got to be honest with you, those of you who know what I'm talking about, those of you who know my HBO special, that John, who's featured prominently in my HBO special as an impression I do of him, which took me a long time to make, you know, nice respectful. He liked it. He said, I liked it. He said it was a good show. The whole show was good. It was like some Lenny Bruce shit. So, and I'm going to say that was very nice of him to say that, but I will tell you this. I will tell you this during the entire time I was with him over the, the scope of two or three days, not once did he say it was a different time. Not once. No, it was a different time. None. It was a different time. None. So as much as he liked the special, he was, uh, I made himself aware of something that was not necessarily a bad thing. I don't feel bad about it, but it was a different time. Not one. So I had a visceral and intellectual and emotional and maybe even spiritual reaction to the limited series that Rachel Weiss is here to talk about. Among other things, obviously. I saw the movie Dead Ringers with uh, Jeremy Irons, the Cronenberg film years ago. I remember some fairly grotesque things about it. I remember a set of tools they invented for modern gynecology. It was a haunting, I don't know, it's it's a physical horror movie. A lot of, uh, like, there's a lot of body stuff. You know, it's doctors, man. But I didn't get an overall point. You know, other than the creepiness and the, I, I believe, misogyny of the, the doctors because they were, they were creating these 
kind of horrendous instruments. I, I, I can't speak to it exactly. Maybe I should have done some homework. But I do know that this new Dead Ringers is almost the opposite. And I was trying to communicate this. This is a, in, in a, a feminist work of art is what I'm trying to, I was trying to say to her. And maybe I did say it. But it took me a long time to process. There's a lot of episodes. And as I found out from her, it's written by very intelligent people, some of them playwrights, that it's not just a horror movie. It deals with the two sides of the feminine spirit almost. One sister is wild and has a a sort of bottomless appetite for fun, for drugs, for life, for, you know, sex. And the other one is is sort of this maternal uh, spirit who, you know, wants to create a space where women can feel safe and healthy. And, and, but it all revolves around this birthing center that they're building because they're both gynecologists. So there you have these two sides where the wild, intense, brilliant, drug addicted, drug consuming, food consuming, sex consuming one is a research scientist trying to figure out how to gestate a fetus entirely outside of the body. And then the other sister is sort of trying to create this environment where women are not treated as patients just because they're pregnant and to sort of embrace the reality of birth. But I'm telling you, man, it's a feminist masterpiece. And I couldn't even really explain it. I don't know if I just explained it to you. It's all in there. That's all I'm saying. And I tried to say it to Rachel and I don't know how it landed. So the full season of Dead Ringers this series, Dead Ringers, is now streaming on Prime Video. But brace yourself, goddammit. I mean, I'm a guy, I don't have kids, so I actually learned a lot of things, and I saw things I would never have seen and never will see if it hadn't been for this limited series. And this is me talking, or trying to talk, to Rachel Weiss about Dead Ringers and other things. What do you listen to when you listen to it? Like um, if you're like, I'm going to listen to some Lou. I would listen to Ocean, Velvet Underground. Oh, yeah, yeah. Here come the ocean, sure. the waves crashing down. That's I mean, the best, yeah. I Pale Blue it. Eyes. Pale Blue Eyes is brilliant. You like those and ones. then um, my son actually learned to play on the guitar. Over the hill right now. Oh, yeah. That yeah, you're yeah. looking for. It's about yeah. an actress who's over yeah, the no, hill. Yeah, no, that's New Age. That's the best. Yeah, it's a great. It's, he, I feel like every single one of his songs, I mean, this is yeah. not original, what I'm going to say. Yeah. But there's, he's such a storyteller. I mean, no there's kidding. such vivid, like, he's just like a narrative genius and a poetic oh, yeah. genius. But I like them. The, was it 90s, the the um, Halloween parade stuff? Oh, like, yeah, that Lou, was... Uh, Lou on his own. Yeah, New York. New York. The that, New York record. I mean, that album is just... It's great. It's exquisite, yeah. I when was it. the first time you heard it, the the Lou? When, when did the, it... Well, probably when it came out in the 90s. No, but right? I mean, like, the oh, first the time Velvet the Underground. Oh, um, I would have been about... Um, 15, so right. 1985. Who had it? Um, who, how, who turned you on to that? <laughs> my, I had a very close uh, girlfriend called Daisy. Yeah. And Daisy and I used to sit in the, the basement of, her mom lived upstairs. We'd be downstairs yeah. in the basement listening to the Velvet Underground. She lived in West London. Yeah. Who and, turned her on to it? Because you guys were young. I don't know. Did she have an older brother or sister? Or? She did have it. She, ha- she has a, um, a much older brother, Matthew. Maybe oh, it was from him. It's a great right. question. I never thought about that. Like, but, how did it come about? Yeah, because I remember, like, that I when I moved into this apartment, some guy had his brother's records, and Live in 69 was one of the records. And this was like... I don't know, in the 80s, 
like 85, 86. And Live in 69 is still like one of my favorite records. All they're, they're all on there. You have that one? I didn't think you so. You gotta get that one. Okay. It's a double album. Ocean's on there, Pale yeah. Blue Eyes. We're oh. gonna have a real good time. So it's We're great. Have a real good yeah. time together. Yeah. yeah. Oh God! It just they, they, I, you know I every every single year since being fifteen and there's many years in between. I just they just get better and better and better. Well, that's the thing about good good stuff. Yeah. About art, about stuff that's yeah. possessed by genius, is it grows with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you hear new things, and then if you listen to different recordings of things, you're like, I never like what? How did I not get that? But like, if you're listening to the Velvet Underground in fifteen, no, you were up to no good, right? I was I was definitely not conservative. Yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah, but the sixty nine. Yeah. What does that mean? It was like nineteen sixty nine. Okay, right. So it's the Velvet Underground live in sixty nine. That yeah. was the record. It came as a double album. I'll show it to you. Okay, where were they? Where were they playing? I want to think it was New York, but he yeah. starts talking about Texas in the middle of it. Like, I, that's something I should know as a as a relatively deep. Velvet Underground nerd, but I don't. I'm not actually a nerd. Like I don't have information about. Mm. I don't. There's so I, much I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I, that's me with like everything. Me too. I know my friend Emily and I. Yeah. We will say like we just don't know any facts. I know. No I know. Facts. You have a sense. I have a sense. <laughs> I have a really good sense. Like and a feeling, a strong feeling. Oh yeah, yeah. strong feeling. Yeah. I've seen some pictures. I've heard <laughs> other people talk about it. Yeah. So I'm, I feel confident. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm actually doing a joke about that in my stand up. Really you know? about your fact factlessness. Well, yeah. I, I say, uh, look, I know Hitler was bad. I just, I don't have dates. I don't have dates. You know, I got a resume. <laughs> but it's uh, it's vague on the date. Uh, yeah. But also, did you study English? Yeah. Yeah, I studied English. It was, this is my excuse. When I was studying, like, late early, early 90s, what was in fashion was, like, the author is dead. Like, no biographical detail. Right. So I just, like, you know, most people, they know stuff about the writers that they love. I just don't know anything. Yeah, I, I well, I I took my concentration in romantic literature early. It was like a nine o'clock class, and I was like kind of fucked up, and I just rarely made it. So we're like I went, but we're studying Byron, Shelley, yeah. Yeats, which is all good. Yeah, and I read at Coleridge. Yeah, but like I could never contextualize anything. I don't know. That's my problem. Yeah. is I I can't compartmentalize. I can't contextualize. I have a problem with uh with boundaries in my head. You know, everything has to mean something in the present. Yeah, I can't like put it into a framework. I I know exactly what you mean. You're just reacting to that. That's right. That poem. And it's great. Yeah, and it's pure. It's a yeah. very pure right. thing. You don't need to know like what he wore and what sexuality. What you don't need to or, know. Or, about but it. sometimes it helps to know what was going on historically to define why he was writing about what he was writing and what makes him different. That's relatively important. But I, when I was in college, I was incapable of doing that. Well, we were just not. We were told that was it was just out of fashion to know anything about. Oh, isn't that the weird? Well, in well that lucky moment. you. So, yeah. what you, you you majored in that? <laughs> not knowing. I majored in not knowing. That was it. Yeah. That's, Did you also do Wordsworth when in your romance? Yes, of yeah. course. Because I I'm a huge. That's one of my favorite poets. Is Wordsworth. That's a lot. That's big poems. Some big. of them long. The Prelude and yeah, Wordsworth's the Prelude and lines above Tintin Abbey. Yeah. I mean, in, intimations of immortality. Right. That poem is just. Yeah, very beautiful. Do you read poems now? I do, but not as much as... Well, I mean, you don't yeah. have to. I mean, like, I find, because it was very important to me at some point in time, I, I even wrote poetry. Did you? Really? Did you? Uh, no. 
No, I was just going like maybe as a kid, but no. When did you write them as a young? No, when I, yeah, when I was in, when I was in uh, in senior in high in high school, and then in college. Yeah, I was in you know I was in the literary journal. I wrote the poems. Yeah, I was fairly serious. Do but you yeah, have any of them? Still? I do. I do. I'd yeah. love to read your poems. No, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> we'll have to talk for a little while. Okay. Like, okay. Okay. I don't I'm know if warm I can up trust to you. It. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be in the moment uh, with them. They're okay, but you know, yeah. I was a kid, and you know, I don't know what I was thinking. I just remember, like, there was an urgency to it at some point. Yeah, poetry is just, yeah. It's great, but, like, what do you do with that? Well, if you're Lou Reed, you make music. I mean, That's he's a right. poet. Yeah, yeah. I, I never really wrote songs. But, right. but you know, if you're going to, like, commit your life to poetry, you're sort of like, you, you got to find a teaching job. Yeah. And, you know, and publish these books that no one will read for the rest of your life. Yeah, uh, how do you make it? How do you make it like bring it into the world? Poems. Well, I think there's some people that that have a literary life where they know that the the only way they can continue doing what they want to do the way they want to do it is to find a college where they can set up shop and teach and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you teach? What? No. No. What was I going to teach? I mean, I, I do stand-up comedy. I talk to people like you. <laughs> you have no I, time. You have I, no time to I, teach. I, I act in things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to do. I used to talk about how when I didn't think show business was going to work out and I, I thought like, I don't know what I could do. You know, I, and I thought like I could always teach and then I'm like, what would I teach? Unless it's a class about me. I don't know. <laughs> like I could do a full half a year semester on me. And my, <laughs> but that's sort of what good teachers do anyways, isn't it? That's how they curate it. These are my interests yeah. and I'm justified in them because I'm at this school and now I'm going to put them in your head. Did you have good teachers? <sighs> When? Ever. I, don't, I think there was one guy in high school that kind of, like, uh, blew my mind. I, I learned more from guys in record stores and a guy who owned a bookstore in Albuquerque than I did teachers. Really? What were that? Have you spoken about them a, a lot? Already? I have. I've talked about them. Gus yeah. Blaisdell owned the Living Batch bookstore. Uh-huh. And he was a cultural critic, smart guy. I always aspired to smartness. It's something you really can't aspire to. Like, I'd like to be smart. Could he, I want <laughs> When I grow up, I'd like to be smart. Yeah, it's yeah. smart to be able to talk about things. <laughs> what about you? Like, where did you, you grew up where? In London? North London, yeah. What's North London? How What defines North London? Um, North London. Well, there's lots of different bits to it. I grew up near a place called Hampstead Heath, which yeah. is like a huge green space. Oh, that's nice. Massive, wild, lots of trees. Oh, that's used, great, right? I used to climb trees a lot as a yeah. kid. Um, and there are ponds that you can swim in. Oh, really? Um, Still? Yeah. Yeah. Still swimming them? Yeah, still swimming. That's swim amazing them. that there's clean water. I don't know exactly how clean it is, okay, but, but people do swim in it. Um, yeah. Yeah, North London, yeah, it's... Um, Suburbish or no? Just, well, you know, like London is, is lots of... I guess not of, really suburbs. Well, it sort of is. It's like lots of villages that joined up and yeah, made... Yeah, but they're from like 300 years ago. Or, or, or more. more yeah, yeah, like yeah. more, maybe 600. 600-year-old 600 suburbs. Yeah, The yeah. originals. So, oh, yeah, I grew up in an area called Hampstead Garden Suburb, which was actually early 20th century. It was built okay. by a teetotaler called Dame Henrietta Barnett. Okay. Yeah. I okay. mean, she designed it. It was like, so there, she was teetotal, so there were no pubs, no bars, uh, and strangely, no shops. There was just a big church yeah. called St. Jude's. And there was Did a people mo- say that she was a fun woman? <laughs> <laughs> What, what, yeah, what, I think yeah. she was really serious, but <laughs> my facts are going to let me down. I don't. That's all I know yeah. about her. Yeah, those are good information. <laughs> there was, there was yeah. that enough. There's no dates. There's no. <laughs> but you, 
Yeah, I exactly understand. And it's slightly, everything is slightly mock Tudor, yeah. the style. Oh. You know that style? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't even get the real stuff. There's real Tudor somewhere. Oh, yeah. Like down the street. It's just down the road. Yeah. It's like super old So stuff. she's trying to keep it in theme, but modernize it a little bit. Yeah. Sounds like she's trying to make some sort of weird religious community. Or uh, like, you know, where no one drank and there were no shops and it's just a church. Yeah. People gonna, kept their moral focus. It, I think you're right. You've yeah. just, you've, you've assessed it. I'm very good at speculating history. <laughs> I'm very good at speculating about things that we could just look up <laughs> to see if I'm wrong. But, uh, Do people ever like Wikipedia? I haven't got my phone with me. Do mm. they ever Wikipedia things when they're in here? I do it sometimes, okay. especially if, if both of us can't remember something. Uh, I'll look it up. Uh, that happens with me with names a lot now. Because I don't know, I think I'm getting old and it happens. I lose names. Well, you just have so many names in your head. There's finite space. I'd like to, okay, I'll believe you. I've lived in a lot of different places. Yeah. And I'm old and I'm, you know, I'm a twice married, childless man. I've been around a bit. So if someone comes up to me and goes, do you remember me? I'm like, I'm going to need a town. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm going to need a, you know, what happened, you know. No, I'm with you. When I see someone I haven't seen for a long time, I always go, hi, it's Rachel, Rachel Vice, Just because it's hard, to, you know. It's yeah. hard to remember who everybody is. Well, I saw you. I saw you once. Um, uh, I was at because I've been doing this a long time. I've talked to a lot of your peers. I know people that know you and stuff. And like, but I never. I, I don't always introduce myself. But like, I was at I was at Othello that you know that Daniel was in, and you were there that night. And so was Joel Cohen and uh, Francis McDormand. Do you uh, remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're all there. And I was sitting right behind them, and I saw you, and I do this thing where I, I kind of look at you for a minute to see if you're like, oh, I, you're Mark Marin, and it didn't happen. Oh, shit. Yeah, so I did. Well, why would you know it me? It was so dark. I just, but you, didn't, you wouldn't have known me. So, so I didn't go, because if you don't know me, then I'm just like, hi, I really like what you do, and, you know, thank you. Oh, you should have you said hello. I, I didn't. I was well, nervous. We're doing it now. Yeah, you were walking out with, the, with him, and I was like, I'm not going to. I didn't even bother with the with the Joel, but Francis, I I met later. She's amazing, right? You're pretty amazing, though. Well, thank you. Very good, <laughs> always good. Like I don't even know. I was nervous about. I get nervous sometimes with the with the with the great actors because uh, I <laughs> I just assume like there's some version of the character, so I'm frightened. Because the some of the characters, are scary. yeah, intense. <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to do with that person? <laughs> Can you imagine some of them in here? I know. Oh, I, I years ago I interviewed Brian Cranston, and I really was. I think throughout the entire interview, I really just wanted to talk to Walter White. I just wanted <laughs> him to be be that guy, talk about science a little bit and and meth. But um, what did your parents? Were your parents artists? No, no. They. My dad was trained as a mechanical engineer, mm. and uh, he was what we called a an inventor kind of romantically but he he manufactured his invented inventions so he made um artificial respirators that we use in emergencies uh -huh. and they were pneumatically powered by their own oxygen he was into pneumatics he was kind of he was it's very specific he was very um he was very he's not alive anymore he's very brilliant yeah. very very brilliant scientist and his both his sisters um uh his older sister died a couple of weeks ago yeah. she was 98 she was wow. an x-ray crystallographer and then the younger sister um who died about two years ago she was a endocrinologist at penn state and she was still working uh, working on um breast cancer she'd like she, the, the the university tried to make her retire and she sued them for ageism and really? she kept working until her 90s yeah wow that's a good yeah. story yeah she they were, they were the three of them my dad and his two sisters were amazing wow amazing uh 
three of them. Yeah. And they were, where'd they come from? Hungary. They oh. were born in Budapest. Um, really? And they, they left, um, I think, a year before the war break, Second World War broke out. So got like 38. Out, got out under the wire. Yeah. Actually, Hungary fell. Strange fact that I do know. It helped, was the last uh, country to fall. Um, to the Nazis. So they they actually had a bigger window, but luckily they got out. But did you ever talk to them about it? Yeah. So like, did they, I'm only saying this sadly, because I want to make sure I'm, I'm reading the signs correctly here. Okay. Did they, <laughs> at this particular point in history. Yes. Did they like, was they were, did they know that Hitler was bad news and they felt the threat? Oh, I see. I mean, I think there were already huge, um, I know that there were anti-Semitic laws being passed by the Hungarian so government. Yeah, they weren't like occupied yet, but it was like going that way. Yes. Yeah. They so were they're just made, sort of like, this yeah. is fucking crazy. Time to get out. We got to get out of here. Yeah. They're passing laws against Jews. Exactly. Exactly. So they left. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> where, where would you go? I'm sorry. To, I'm, it's nothing to laugh about. I'm sorry. Just the way you said it was No, funny. it's hilarious. There's <laughs> nothing not to laugh about. What are we supposed to do? At some point, you know, we can't stop it. We're going to have to figure out what to do. I mean, maybe we can stop it. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe the better angels or whatever the fuck that means, well, they'll, they'll win out. But um, I think I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to Canada. But I'm, what I think, you can just go back to England, right? I see. If things get yeah. problematic, yes. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to leave before I have to leave. Yes. <laughs> It'd I, be I... nice to be like, make choices as opposed to like, please let me in. I was on television. <laughs> I'm really important and cultural addition uh, look, to your society. Exactly. Look how yeah. interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll show you some videos. Look yeah. on my phone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so you grew up with, and your mom, what's she, what's she, she also? was a teacher. Um, she taught English as a foreign language to oh. um, French and German students, and she then retrained as a psychotherapist. She was a therapist when you were a kid? Yeah. That's rough. It has its complications. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was married to a psychiatrist's daughter. How, 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 how was, was that? she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's always kind of weird, you know, when, you, when you're a shrink's kid. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I remember growing up and you knew shrink's kids. You're like, they're a little weird. She was okay, you know? Yeah. But uh, some guy made a funny joke. And when I told him that her dad was a psychotherapist, he said, well, he must not be a very good one. I'm like, why? He he let her marry you. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> so that's not a really good joke. It's okay. No, but uh, so what was the impact of that on you? Um, she still around? No, okay, she died. Yeah, mm. yeah, she died in both Jews. She was she was raised Catholic, but she she um, converted. Wow! Mm. So you've got Catholic Jew in you. Yeah, different kinds of. Guilt. Yeah? Do yeah. you find it? Do you feel that? Guilty? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I okay. Can, I can feel guilty. Can you? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I like to go right to shame. <laughs> right to shame. You just <laughs> bypass guilt. Yeah. Shame, is shame worse than guilt? I'm trying to think. What, what's the it's difference? Kind of, I think it's the same area. Yeah. You yeah. know what I Cousins. mean? Cousins. Yeah, yeah. But I think, uh, you know, guilt you can kind of negotiate with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, like, I feel bad, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah. But like once you, you saturate in shame a little bit, you're just kind of like, yeah. oh, I'm the worst. Yeah, and shame makes your cheeks burn. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like a physical, like, do you sometimes feel that when your cheeks tight, burn? My, uh, I get a tightness in the chest. Do you? Yeah, when but I'm all right. Yeah. Just sort of like my brain just kind of operates in an anxious state. Yeah, but I think you, you've made a creative act out Thank of it. Thank God. <laughs> 
So you got these parents. Then now, did you hear about the Holocaust constantly? Um, not constantly, but it was definitely it wasn't wasn't not spoken about. Yeah. yeah. Did you have family in Hungary? Did you lose people? Did your family? Yes. Yeah. I lost. Yes. Definitely. I mean, uh, that I never met. Obviously. Right. Mm. That's heavy. It is. And when when do you start to um, perform? Um, I just saw the natural segue there. Yeah. You just saw it? <laughs> yeah, I did. It was like a bridge. Yeah. Um, we go right from the Holocaust. Uh, yeah, to, yeah. When did you start uh, <laughs> making people enjoy uh, your presence on stage? I was not a... Um, I wasn't a. I, I find this true of a lot of actors yeah. though, that I speak to. I wasn't like a performing child. I wasn't kind of like singing songs for people and tap mm. dancing and Shirley Temple-ish mm -hmm. in any way. Um, I, the place I really started was when I was at uh, university. I started a theater company with some pals. Yeah. And we used to write all of our plays through improvisation. Okay. So it was kind of like imp improv like you'd improv and then you'd find dialogue and it was myself and another actress called Sasha Hales uh -huh. and we used to write plays and then take them to the Edinburgh Festival this is when I was like 18 19 20 21 and I think going to the Edinburgh Festival that that for me is like the was one of the greatest times so you of my spent life. a month there handing out flyers exactly exactly so I'll be running up and down the royal you've been too right yeah once to do stand up how yeah. was, how was it I thought it was the worst thing I ever did in my life. Where were you, the Gilded Balloon? Yeah, I was at the Gilded Balloon. What, what went wrong? What went wrong? Yeah. I, was, I, I wasn't a known person. Okay. So, but I, I at least was produced. You know, uh, uh, what's her name? Karen. Uh, she brought me out with another guy, and we did a double bill. And I didn't realize that you go in as a double bill. People think you're green, that you don't have an hour. I was just not a known person, but I didn't have to run around and hand out flyers. Right. But I was there for a month performing for audiences ranging from five to 30. What time? What time? Evenings? Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, I felt like I was performing every day and it was just relentless. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't that long ago, but it was like 2007 maybe. Okay. But it was, it was just like, I can't leave. We're not getting people to come to this thing. I'm on a double bill and it's like, it, it was just a slog. I'd also just been, uh, uh, <laughs> my, 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 uh, wife had just left me. So, so that was a, that was not great. You were in, it was a bad you were in a bad place when you went to Edinburgh. Bad or a good place? I was definitely uh, you know working it out what, what, on okay. stage. But was that part of your stand up? <laughs> yeah, I guess it was, it's arguable whether it was funny, but I was definitely living it. You were living it. Sure. <gasps> yeah, put it right out there. But anyways, that was my experience. For you, an amazing experience, and, and uh, you could see all the different people doing all the different things. Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of um, in the late eighties. I saw a whole lot of Eastern European, like Polish, Romanian, Hungarian uh, yeah. theatre that yeah. was completely different from anything I'd ever seen in England. Like um, there was this guy called Cantor, a theatre director. Yeah, he'd actually he used to be always be on stage directing the actors. He died. And he'd on said, stage? No, he died somewhere else. But he'd said that for one year after his death that the company could keep going but and do this show. Yeah. But there was an empty chair. In oh, my God, room. yeah. But this show was like nothing I've ever seen before. The whole stage was transformed into battlefields and... Um, it was it was kind of a kind of experimental physical theater, but it was properly like genius and mind blowing. So that really got under my skin. I also saw, I think it was nineteen eighty nine or eighty eight. I saw Dennis Leary 
perform no cure maybe for cancer. no cure for cancer, yeah. which that blew my mind. I mean, I'd never seen anything anything like that. This American yeah. dude like smoking sixty thousand cigarettes yeah. on stage and talking about ranting, clubbing, see, baby yeah, seals, sure. and it was like it was like something I had never come across. And, and you saw that in Edinburgh. I saw it in Edinburgh, yeah. And he would be like drinking in the Gilded Balloon yeah, Bar, and right. me and my pals were there, and we were like, "That's that, that's Dennis Leary." Yeah, yeah it was like sure. It was amazing. Yeah, so. So that was, I guess it was always like that, but it was, it was, there was also a lot of just straight theater going on. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I went, it felt like it was all sort of comedy driven at this point. Well, you were probably in the comedy bubble oh, world. Oh, yeah, There's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of straight theater and experimental theater. We we performed somewhere, it doesn't exist anymore, it's called the Richard DeMarco Gallery, and he brought over jo- Joseph Boyce, the visual artist yeah. from Eastern Europe, and we performed there in his kind of like gallery. This was you and your group? Yeah, it was myself and Sasha were the performers. Yeah. We did a play there called Slight Possession. Mm. One of the plays I'm most proud, one of the pieces of work I'm most proud of. It was me, her, and a stepladder was the third character. And uh, And you guys had written it? Yeah, we wrote it through improv. Yeah, we were like a little repertory company. At Cambridge? At Cambridge, yeah. So you're like 19? Um, um, uh, Yes, 19. Yeah, exactly. So that's when it started. That's when it started. I went there when I was 20, 21. We went there for a few years in a row. Just the two of you. Yes, and David Farr was the director, and he was in my English class at in my college, Trinity Hall, and Rose Garnett, who it was the producer. There were four of us. Okay. Yeah. So wait, I've I've interviewed other people from there. Yeah. Yeah. You went? Did you go to school with Sasha? Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. He he was at Cambridge. I don't think we were there at the same time. I think oh. he might be younger than me. I, we I've met him since in, yeah. in the grown up world. Yeah, he's yeah. genius. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Very funny guy. Yeah. So when you go back each year, are are you? It does it become more experimental? Are you looking for laughs? What are you doing? What was that play you, that you're proud of? What was that about? It was called Slight Possession, and it was about how couples try and possess each other. It was uh-huh. actually kind of about codependence, probably, Yeah, in a way. Yeah, but maybe you didn't know that was what it was called then. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. But it was about, yeah, couples yeah. who, yeah, try and possess everything about each other, each other's imaginations, each other's everything. And it was darkly funny. We called it fraught naturalism. Fraught? Oh, you had a name for it. We had to come up with something, you know. Oh, in terms of the blurb? Well... No, description. Just, no, no, we didn't. We didn't. Didn't give it in the blurb. Just, I guess afterwards, nice. talking about it. Yeah. And and have you uh, performed it since? No, I've thought about it because all we need is a stepladder. We both needed a little floral dress. Yeah. Um, and a stepladder and an empty space. And are you still in touch with her? Yeah. You are. Yeah, yeah. She's actually been writing, working on a screenplay for a uh, a novel called Lanny by Max, Max Portis. It's great. Experimental huh. novel, yeah. So it's like kind of wild that like when you you know people when you're young and they stay in the arts. Yeah, a lot of people don't. They That's kind true. of you know what I mean. You have you start with these people like what happened to that guy? I don't know. Normal life, I guess. Well, it's very hard. I mean, I always say to anyone who, young person who says they want to act, I always say, if "There's anything that you can think of that would make you happy. Do that. Anything because yeah. it's because it's you know it's like not the." You know, it's hard to get a job. It's the worst. <laughs> you know, when people ask me about comedy, I'm like, yeah, but don't limit yourself to stand up. If you can work with other people, if you're capable, figure out how to do that. Like, if you can, if you can be funny and write funny, there's a million things you can do. Yeah. Don't just be one of these sad lone wolves out there on the road, talking to strangers. It's tough. I mean, I I sometimes 
think I have like a nightmare that I am at dream, you know, oh, really? that I would have to do stand up, you know, I mean, terrifying, terrifying, you talk about performance, anxiety, dreams, stand up. I don't know how you do it. What are you talking about? Have you done one person shows? No. Never? Never. You never did a piece? I've done an audition where oh, I had to like stand a... up and read Well, monologue. that's pretty awful, right? Awful. Awful. Not having a pal to like- Bounce off bounce of? Bounce off of, yeah. Just these weird uh, blank-faced- executives yeah. Yeah. and a casting director Ter- or, or an audience full of people that want to be amused yeah. like ha- like I could maybe do it with a pal yeah yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you probably got some laughs in that show you did it was it was d- yeah darkly quite funny but it wasn't a comedy troupe that you had put together at Cambridge you weren't doing it to be funny you were doing no, it for that theater. was that was the footlights that was really that, oh, was, right, that right. was the comedy sketch show. Let's like where like beyond the fringe, you know, yeah. Peter Cook, Dudley Moore, sure. all they those all guys. Came, right. They came from that. I think that's what I talked to uh, Sasha about. Also about buffoonery. Oh yeah, yeah. So he trained <laughs> with Philippe Gollier. Yeah, and that's the because I'm not trained. I didn't go to drama school. Yeah, I don't think he did either. Yeah. Um, but after Cambridge, I did some workshops with Philippe Gollier and did like um, uh, Buffon. Cool. Buffon. Buffon. Yeah. 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 Buffonery. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. that clown work? It's clown work. Yeah. Yeah. So you really want to be funny. I mean, Buffons are like, if they if they, if they they think they're funny, they're going to be in trouble. They're no. mischievous. Okay. okay. And they have, a, they have a kind of king that tells them, they have to, end, they're like court jesters that have to entertain the king. Mm. But if they go too far, they get told off. Oh, that's it. So that's, it's about naughtiness. That's the heart of it. Taking it to the edge. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, well, I, I think that Sasha's definitely done that. But so have you. Like this like this show that I watched that you're in right now, like it was one of these, I didn't even know how to process it. I thought it was amazing. There was so many things happening on so many levels. Like I'm, I don't have kids, but you know, I've seen, you know, uh, you know, I have, I thought I had a sense of birth, but- uh, I did not. Yeah. Um, and I, I was trying to figure out how to talk about it because there's things I've been seeing lately that are happening in that streaming space that are well-funded and, and, and well-articulated by collaborators that are brilliant. And it, something's happening that's never happened before. Like I felt it with Underground Railroad. I feel it with Succession. And I, and I felt it with this thing that this is like – this is – an. For whatever it's billed as, uh, this version of Dead Ringers, is it's aggressive, uh, feminist political statement in some way. That there's so many levels of how women are treated in the world, especially around childbirth and aging and everything. And it's framed in such a way that my point is I think a lot of this stuff is happening to the extreme in relation to the way the world is going politically. I don't know if that's – conceived if it's thought of that way but it felt to me that this is beyond powerful it's got a lot to say thank i mean thank you did you feel that i mean i I suppose the first thing i think of as you're speaking is like well i guess succession is is wildly entertaining and also uh people behaving very badly 
I mean, right. Well, that's like that's right, but it is still it's a satire, though, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. have to take it as that mm-hmm. that we're seeing the one percent in all their horrible glory mm. and with all this sort of heightened Shakespearean language. And you can't take your eyes off. Oh them. no, it's the best. It's because of the writing. Yeah. Well, I think that's true with Dead Ring is yeah. Alice Birch and the other writers. In oh fact, my God, Alice. Um, and, and Susan Stanton wrote on Succession. So there is a crossover. Right. It, well, I noticed it in how they approached the wealthy. Yeah. That there was that, you know, that tone of entitlement and cussing and uh, being beyond the law. Yeah. And, and having no sense of what regular people live like or care. It's, they're actually more aggressively outspoken in Dead Ringers. Yeah, the power couple, the kind of oligarch, um, Sackler-like power couple that Jennifer Ely and Rebecca Mead play. They're amazing. But I just couldn't believe like the – like there's there's things about there in that that I learned because I don't know yeah. like uh, about like postpartum depression. Like I'm not trying to make this sound like a, a depressing uh, series because it isn't. It's horrifying. It's engaging. It, it, you can't stop looking at it. You're amazing as two people. But there's stuff you learn that I, it seems to be legitimately the first time I've ever seen it portrayed in anything. Like, you know, it goes in into postpartum depression. It goes into, you know, women having miscarriages, m- m- women wanting to have babies that can't. You, you see how cesareans work over and over again. And then you have these two demonic, though empathetic twins who have different intentions about how they want to change the world. Mm. One of them being slightly uh, morally dubious and, and, and a bit frightening and, and wants to uh, figure out a way to gestate babies entirely outside of the womb. You know, why, you know, why put the woman through it if they don't have to? And then the other one who uh, is trying to hold on to her conscience. Yeah, she's, yeah she, she wants to do the right thing and she wants to change the way that women birth. She wants this birthing center that would be bespoke and comfortable and not a place where people go where they're sick but to give birth. But yeah, she gets tested very heavily because she takes the money for the birthing center from this incredibly corrupt source. So I think Alice had a a lot of fun putting this morally kind of noble, righteous person through the ringer like that. Yeah. Because she has to go and appeal to these oligarchs and say, oh, yes, I'd, I'd like your money. Yeah. And she's taking very dirty money. So um, I think Alice really enjoys putting people into these morally really difficult positions. But I learned so much ma- making the show and all the writers did. And we had a writer's room where we met scientists, endocrinologists, embryologists. We met a longevity expert who um, told us that uh, death was just a disease that is going to be cured one day through CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing. Yeah, and, right. and, and they, there's a, you know, they talk about that at, that, um, at the Parker's uh, estate. You know, this, the kind of what we call near-fi, because it's not really sci-fi. It's, it's just, just within our grasp. I mean, I learned a lot of things. But it like well, I guess I should describe it because I was just overwhelmed because I watched them all at once. Like I don't even know how to categorize it, and I was found myself sort of like watching it and thinking like, "There's so much I don't know." But it really struck me as something about women and voicing things that women, you know, can't really voice or articulate. I think in the general culture in a very kind of engaging way and 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 gnarly way. Did you feel that? I mean, no, because I'm a woman, and as women, you know, we give birth and we have miscarriages, and it's just part of our experience. I I think what's interesting is that 
for you it was gnarly and I I completely yeah. understand why you're saying that it's because we're just not used to seeing it on screen right whereas we're incredibly used to seeing violence murder death right you know like you know and there's so many different vocabularies now and different tones uh, for drama yeah. uh, about death and gore and violence right. and we, we, which is wonderful I'm not I'm not saying there shouldn't be yeah. but we're immune to the horrors of it and this is actually about something really beautiful it's how how does a how did every single human being get here sure. from a woman's body? Yeah. It's so simple. But we just, yeah, we're not used to it. We're not used to seeing it. Right. Because it isn't horror. It's, I mean, I, I think it's beautiful, but of course I understand why. No, I mean, I didn't frame it as horror. I mean, I was just something I'd never seen before. Exactly. And I was a cesarean. Were you? Yeah. Both me and my brother were. But like, I, I you know, again, this is a very common experience for everybody who has kids and certainly all women who have had kids. But but there was sort of some through line to this that, you know, struck me as, and I'm just a dude, but there there was sort of a, a, an embracing sort of defiance to it all in a way in the, the nature of, of how it was presented because I was like, wow, you know, I don't even know how to process this. Do you know what I mean? And certainly – and, and and the way your character, the uh, the Elliot character, you know, her relationship with men is is kind of like pretty intense in the way that you're sort of like, all right, well, so she's clearly in charge of her thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she as a character to me is, I mean, Alice wrote these two completely different characters. The twins that you both you play both. Yeah, so yeah. Elliot has this relationship to pleasure where she we were talking about you and I were talking about our guilt or yeah, shame yeah. she doesn't have any right so she she has an appetite for food sex men career drugs, drugs exactly yeah she snorts yeah. cocaine I mean, she, she just like imbibes whatever yeah, she can yeah. and she gets something she enjoys it yeah. and then she gets something else yeah. and that's just her character which yeah. I've never played anyone like that was quite um, yeah quite joyful to yeah. play Elliot yeah. and then Beverly on the other hand is maybe more like we were saying like she's got shame and she's got a conscience and yeah. she's a little nerdy a little controlled she's a little nerdy yeah. she's controlled she's shy she wants to do the right thing by the world and, and you, she has a really bad, complex relationship to pleasure and that she sort of denies herself pleasure and her sister procures lovers for her because she's too shy to get them so, so when yeah. you're and you're you're both are they are they Gynecologists or obstetricians? What would they're you? both. They do both. So in the original Cronen iconic eighty-eight Cronenberg yeah. film, they're just gynecologists. With Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. Yeah, yeah it was the most brilliant film. Um, it's a crazy film. All I remember are those tools. I know. At I the know. end for mutant. Oh mutant my god. Rooms. Yeah. Well, that's quite gnarly. Well, that that's what I remember. Yeah. I don't remember the end of that movie. Yeah. All I remember is th those tools. Yeah. Yeah, Cronenberg is a master at, master at searing things into your memory. But, yeah, we decided to make them obstetricians as well, so they deliver babies. And the, the thrust of the, the story is that they want to open a birthing center that is, that is, you know, instead of treating women as patients or as ill because they're pregnant, mm. they're embraced and put into an environment that is um, pro-childbirth. Yeah, comfy, relaxed. Yeah. But the the thrust of the, the the narrative simultaneously to that is that these two characters who are codependent and have lived together, worked together. Identical twins. Identical twins, yeah. That they have haven't separated since the womb. They are it's kind of they're having a lot of fun. They're living the high life, they're celebrity doctors, but yeah. uh, they're too close 
It's too, it's too, it's too much. So they get for either of them. Well, I think Elliot's fine with it. Beverly would like to get away, but the, it's the story is about the patient that comes between them and tries to split them up, basically. Yeah, but but like there's so <laughs> there's so much more to this thing. You like you're, I'm trying to <laughs> engage you in this way where it's sort of like this was crazy. It's a crazy series. You know, I know it has a lot to do with what we're talking about, maybe as a man or however I'm seeing it. Yeah. Like, I don't think you're minimizing it, but there's a lot of shit that goes on. There's completely inappropriate insanity on every every five minutes. Yes, yes. It's, and wi- it's a wild ride. Totally wild. And you yeah. have this, uh, this woman who uh, works in your house as sort of a... Uh, I guess as a an nanny assistant. PA, yeah, yeah, or everything, and you don't know what she's up to with the bags, yeah. and you know, and putting like you know hair and Kotex, use tampons and in bags. You're like, who does she work for? Yeah. And then how that story pans out, you're like, oh, and then that has something to do with her losing her mom. Yeah, I mean, and then your mom shows up. Your mom's got the post. Your mom, the the character's mom, yeah. has the postpartum depression. That's and right. And and then that becomes sort of a through line. Then you wonder, and then your sister wants to have a baby. There's no way to explain this. It's not just about this. These two genius obstetrician gynecologists who want to open a birthing center and have to use like Sackler money for it too. It's so loaded up, man. I think if there's a through line, it is to sort of assess and confront the way women are treated, you know, in in childbirth, but in in general. I'm, I mean, I'm just loving listening. I feel like I'm I'm loving listening to what you're you're saying. It's I, I, so I'm fascinating. Sitting, but I'm sitting here projecting on you. I'm, I'm, I, it's like, not projecting. It's no, like no, no. You're I, telling me you're feeling. I'm that's loving right, but, it. But I think you're sitting here going like, "Wow, this man just really doesn't no. get it." No, no, I'm not thinking no. that at all. I'm yeah. lo- I'm really loving hearing what you're saying because you've just taken it taken it all in, and there's a lot. There's something in this thematically that elevates. The visibility around birth and around the issues that surround birth. I, I don't know if that was the intention. It wasn't. We didn't have an intention. We just told stories that we were interested in right. telling. Um, and it, and yes, they they. It seems like it's not something that's often told. It seems to be pretty a new terrain. But in terms of being a woman and the female experience, it's just our experience. Right. We're interested in it. There was. A lot of research that went into the show and a lot of, in the writer's room, we met, as I mentioned, scientists. We read thousands of articles about different patients. I mean, there were so many patients and stories that we had to leave out. Uh, And then, yeah, the history of gynecology, where it came from, J. Marion Sims. And I mean, it ended up being a really rich territory uh, I guess women's bodies have always been politicized. Yeah. So if it feels political, that's why. But it's, I don't know if it feels political, but it does. Like it, I, it's hard for me to look at something, you know, within the culture we're living in. Yeah. You know, as sort of like any kind of effective fuck you to Christian moralism for me is great. So I'm going to see things like that. That like, you know, I can't imagine, you know, like a certain type of person. Like, uh, like, especially a Christian fascist person, mm-hmm. which this country is full of, watching this for more than ten minutes, and and because like I and anything that will upset them, I'm happy about. Okay, <laughs> I understand. And so that's how I saw some of it. That's the only reason I I, I think that it's political is because of the climate we're living in. Got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that some creativity in this world that we're living in now, it seems like somehow the arts is still one of the only places where 
there's any attempt at real progressive sort of uh, uh, and aggressive, you know, satire and storytelling and inclusion that it's happening in real life. I don't know what's going on out there, but I know in the world that we live in, people are taking chances. And I think that this thing felt like it was taking a tremendous chance. It was wildly challenging and but really fucking joyous to make. I mean, yeah. it was really like the hardest thing. I've ever done just ser- technically playing yeah. two characters in a scene. That's you know just that. It's How'd you what did you put in place as you know the like as an actress? You know what was the thing at the core of each that gave you because it is like you know pretty quickly after about ten minutes, you know it wasn't just about the haircuts. You know you you definitely uh, personified them differently and not subtly really. Well, it was ha- having like work with Alice for. A- couple of years on the, you know thinking about the characters being in the writer's room really yeah and then she wrote this dialogue which is exceptional dialogue yeah. and so psychologically rich that I learned the lines and I just learned my imagination bent towards two different people but Beverly was uh, uh, she's shy and quiet and um, careful and rigorous and like scared of pleasure. I mean, yeah, they just have different energies. So Elliot's rangy and moves. And so we always, well, we learned to start with Elliot because she set the pace of the scene. Okay. So you just, when when you're doing the work and starting to build these characters, you, you really start at the script. Usually in this case, Alice and I had like cooked, cooked up the characters in general terms before the script. Writing, right. So I had a long time to think about them. Who's, whose idea was it to do this story again? Mine. You conceived of this mm-hmm. for women. Yeah, for just you. Just so I could play them. Yeah, I was looking for stories that I could develop to act in, and I'd loved that movie since I was a teenager when I'd first seen it. I've seen it many times, and I just suddenly thought, oh, sisters. That's a really interesting relationship. Why they could be? What about that story? Uh huh. And so that simple. Well, as that's how it began. I didn't know it was going to turn into like a four-year journey that just ended now. Yeah, that was able to encompass the entire experience revolving around medicine, childbirth, uh, mistreatment, and uh, uh, negligence on healthcare professionals. Horrendous compromises we have to make morally, and also see like two women doctors at the top of their game being fabulous and having a you know living their living their best life until until it falls apart i mean that's what i loved about the original like jeremy irons he always had a martini glass in his hand and a beautiful girl in his arm you know he was having a great time until until he wasn't yeah but i for some reason in watching it and maybe i'll watch it again i i somehow missed the best life part Really? I mean, well, no, I know they got their center, but one of the, like, you know, uh, Beverly was never that happy. And there was always a problem. You're so, right. like, you know, you were always, you know, kind of in, in the shadow of whatever the emotional dynamic was between them. Like, it, it never felt like a, a party. I I hear what you're saying. There's, and Sean Durkin, who directed episode one and two, you know, he did Martha Macy May Marlene. Do you remember that Mm-mm. film? Anyway, he's a brilliant director and he did The Nest. Yeah. Um, he has a great ability to create a feeling of disquiet like that feeling that something terrible is going to happen yeah so that but that's all the way through it yeah it didn't feel like that on the inside of making it but i understand i understand what you're saying yeah it's um it's um, meant to be disquieting so how does this compare to like 
the Yorgos Lanthimos movies. Like Yorgos, I had him on, and I demanded an explanation. For? Him. What did he say? He doesn't have one. He just likes to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he never talk. He never, like, when you're on set, he yeah. never, you never talk about anything. Are you serious? Yeah. You know, I, we don't analyze. He just says, do it again faster. That's it. Yeah, no, there's no, uh, there's no analyzing. Nothing. And if you ask him, but why am I? And he'll go, Rachel, I'm Yorgos. You know, and you yeah. go, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. He just, no, you don't talk about it. He just, it's extraordinary how he directs. Yeah, I liked him. And I like that. I, I like both the movies you're in. Uh, but uh, how do you, but but it's it, it's got to be tricky as an actor. Like I, I realized this the other day when I was watching my friend Betty Gilpin in a science fiction show, where where the premise is fundamentally peculiar, if not totally abstract. So all you have to work on is emotions that you decide upon. It might even not be in relation to another character that's going to give back to you in any way. Do they make sense to you emotionally when you're acting them? Is that how you how you have to approach them? Completely, yeah. yeah. Like I, I'm sort of surprised that when you say that they're abstract, like that's never really crossed my mind. Oh, you mean like like the lobster? Yeah, but yeah, but it just... <laughs> a little. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that when you're inside the story. Sure, it just seems like this is my character. These are the rules of the universe that I live in. That's it. That's what I was yeah. looking for. The rules of the universe I live in. Well, that's particularly true of the lobster because that you just have a few days before you get turned into an animal. That's right. Very, those are very strange rules. I mean, right. that, that just doesn't happen. Whereas in Dead Ringers, I mean, people do have C-sections and they are born. Sure. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, that's... Well, more... no, that's all. That's a that's a human carnage all around. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm just talking about, like, his movies in particular. And the other one, the... The, the favorite. Yeah. But, that but that's, was... like, pretty... That's That was more traditional for him. Yeah. It in, was... in terms of storytelling. I think... History. Yeah. Yeah. Actually based on history. Yeah. Queen. I think they, yeah. they all existed, Lady sure. Churchill. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 And that was, the, I think, the only time he did something that straightforward. Yeah. I did, they just spoke in an anachronistic way. So yeah. They said, like, modern things. Yeah. And yeah. they sang a modern song. Okay. Yeah. It was yeah. okay. It was just normal core. <laughs> yeah. So what about theater? Are you doing any? I'm not at the moment, but I'd love to again. Yeah. Yeah. How long has it been? Um, I think like 2017 or something, 16. Yeah, Yeah, a while. What year did Trump get in? 16. 16, it was 16, yeah. Do you uh, run lines with Daniel? No. None of that? I tried. We do it separately. I've got a thing called Line Learner. What is that, an app? It's an app. Oh, yeah? So I had to do it. For Dead Ringers, because I had to learn two characters, so I'd, do, I'd lay down Beverly, yeah. and then say Elliot in the Gap, and lay down. Do I'd line? It's a good app, Line Learner. Line Learner. Yeah. Are you? How do? How are you with learning lines? Do you find it easy or hard? Well, I don't know. You know, like I used to be able to do it, you know, like when I did theater when I was younger. But when I do these movies and stuff, I mean, you know, you kind of get into a weird habit with that. You kind of get a sense of them, and you know what you need to do, but you also know, like, all right, we're just going to shoot these two pages. You know, so you kind of cram your head. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You get a sense of it. You read it as many times as you need to. Yeah. And then you kind of, you, you don't have to overwhelm yourself because you're doing it in pieces. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But I'm okay with it. I can learn lines. I'm not completely ridiculous. I don't need, like, to have cue cards posted everywhere. Because <laughs> you just put it on the camera. Just put it on the camera. 
I heard that Ch- Kojak, you know, when it was Telly Savalas, Telly Savalas, yeah. yeah, that he used to have a, a stand-in to do the other side of you know the back of his head, and then when he oh anyway, this sounds like I'm bitching about him. Oh, oh no, I knew his granddaughter. I was uh, good friends with her. But but then he'd have a stand-in. But when he came back, he'd he'd stick the, his lines onto the forehead of the actor when it was his coverage and just read them off the face. Yeah, it's probably not true. Might be. Who knows? How did you shoot those, all that stuff? Like the technology now really enabled you guys to do something that Cronenberg couldn't do really. Yeah. The seamless integration of those two characters. I think the technology was pretty good in, in the Cronenberg. It was pretty good, but like it just seems better now. I mean, yeah. geez, I mean, like you could touch each other and, you know. It was like... The t- touching each other is when it got ch- really complicated. Yeah. We had a brilliant um, special effects producer, supervisor called Eric Pascarelli, who's a proper artist. And he was very, very calm and huh. said, well, what do, you, what do you want to do in the scene? And we said, we want to hold hands. And he'd go, okay, we'll make that work. He would just make everything work. I, I like seeing things where I'm blown away and that make me understand uh, the struggle. You know, and I think that's in some ways the same thing that happened with Underground Railroad in terms of, you know, framing the history of slavery and the struggle of black people. Like, I'm empathetic. But some things just really plant the goddamn thing in you in a way where it's visceral, right? It's not just sort of like, yeah, bad things happen and I feel bad and, you know, I want to help and, you know, I'm support and, you know, ally this, ally that. But there's certain things that just sort of like make you feel it. Right. You know. I I hear what you're saying. I, I mean, I think the process of getting pregnant, staying pregnant, giving birth is just something all – uh, most women but go that, through right. no but for, but it's it's i think there's joy and beauty in it yeah and and i think there's a lot of like joy and jouissance and like i don't i, I mean i don't think it's all about struggle i mean it maybe feels hard because you're not used to seeing it and because you don't you're, you're a man right but but I, I i don't i mean i yeah no i know i agree with you and i see all that yeah. but like but the but to me like the the foundation of it is is that you know women you know the basis of it the birthing center is that, you know, women are treated like sick people. Yes. Pregnant women are treated like sick people. Yes. And they're not given the attention they need. And they're not given the sensitivity they need. Beverly, not, you know. Beverly is in love with you right now. Right. You are like Beverly's best friend. Well, that's what yeah. but that's what, that's what I'm re- re- responding to. Yeah. And then and, and then, Elliot would just say, I get over yourself. They're just giving making babies. I'm going to win a Nobel Prize for science. And I right. want the FDA off okay. my back. I yeah, want yeah. private funding and my private lab to do what the fuck I want. You know, right. she's like a crazy scientist. But I'm I'm... I love Beverly as well sure. as Elliot. So we can sure. go back. Let's go back to Beverly. Sure. Like, I'm, I'm not comparing the struggle of like, you know, the uh, black Americans to, to this, 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 to the, to the piece that's in uh, dead ringers, but it just struck me that sort of the level of, of negligence and also the, the level of, you know, not giving voice to, you know, specifically like, like postpartum, which I've only heard about, mm-hmm. which is fairly common. Yeah, but, it's, but it's like a big part of this show. And then there's also the idea about the morality of, of you know, taking genetic material to stop menopause. I mean, that's, you know, that's not, you know, that's a different woman's issue. That's not just birthing. No. You know, that's this whole other thing. Yeah. And then, you know, what is a powerful woman? You know, in the context of this thing, there's several different versions of it. You know, one being the heinous heir to that Sackler form or whatever the name of that rich person is. And then there's all these different other models of what are specifically powerful women in this thing where you they, they force you to take it in and to process it and to decide the morality of each one and what, where they're coming from and what is that. I'm loving listening to you. I, I, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, 
I, I, I'm loving hearing your thoughts because I'm just, I've just been so deep inside the story, oh. telling telling just things that were interesting that I found interesting that yeah. I don't, I don't even I don't know how to articulate it like oh, you do. I barely know how to t- articulate, it and I feel ridiculous doing it. But I just didn't feel like because I'm not a horror guy, and th- th- from the second this thing started, they're all common among women. But I've never seen them in a piece of uh, yeah. But I feel like isn't that what stories and drama? Should is be. for is yeah. for you to put yourself into the shoes of somebody yeah. else and the skin of someone else. Sure. So if, if you as a man like felt some of the things it feels like to be a woman, I think that's kind of fabulous. And I just love all that all these men in this thing are just garbage. <laughs> yeah, every fucking one of them. Well, I think Michael Chern is who plays Elliot's best and only friend Tom. He's he's pretty great. Yeah, well he's like he's not an alpha male. There's no alphas. Well, there's a couple fake alphas. I would say, you know, well, there's, there's, I think so. There are, but they, you know, it's not like they're winning anything. <laughs> no, they're very funny, I think. Yeah. God, so much in this thing. Just load it up. Thank you. God, thank Thanks you for, for talking. Thank you for watching what? and thinking. And uh, just... It's uh, profoundly disturbing and engaging. Thank you. Yeah. How long did it take you to shoot that? Um, I think it was like four or five months. Uh. Yeah. When, yeah, and then a long time to edit. And what are you doing now? And actually, the person who wrote the music, because, you know, we at the beginning we were talking about people we went to college, yeah. college with. Yeah. It's Murray Gold, who wrote all the music. Yeah. I was at, I was, I was at Cambridge with, and he oh, wrote really? the music for this show, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. that's wild. Well, Have you been in touch with him the whole time? Over the years, sporadically, but oh. I just introduced him to Alice, and they got on, and yeah, he wrote the music, yeah. Have, now, Alice Birch is a playwright, right? Yes, and in fact, all the writers in the writer's room have a playwriting background, yeah. I've worked, yeah, so when I did Glow, and the showrunners were, you know, they were playwrights, too. Yeah. Well, that that makes a difference. And what I think so. I don't know how to say how, but because they they're they're the the expanse of their conception is limitless. Yeah. Their imaginations. So, they can. There's a little empty space in a theater, and it can be anything. That's right. Yeah. And, that's and it just has to be suggested. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like you don't. So that that enables them to really, I think push characters to in a way that, you know, you're not going to get if you're, you know, come up a different way. I think that's right. And I think this this series begins very grounded. So you believe in the twins and their dreams. Yeah. And then it gets more and more heightened. And I mean, it's operatic and like... That's right. I don't, I don't want to say magical, really, but it's like bananas it becomes. Yeah. It's very, so they all use their brilliant imaginations, these writers. Yeah. I think that's... Yeah, and there's a lot of dinner party scenes as well, which I feel is quite a theater thing, maybe. Yeah. I don't know, to have lots and lots of characters all speaking at the same sure. time. Sure, yeah. And also I think dinner dinner parties are something theater people do. <laughs> have dinner, Do you ever yeah. have dinner parties? No, I barely have anyone over. Really? I'm going to one tonight. For, I hardly ever go. Where, was it a little dinner? J- J- James Gray, the director. Oh, guy. he's brilliant. You know I'm, that guy? I've no, I, I mean, I'm a fan of his work. Yeah. He's brilliant. yeah. Um, I'll tell him he said that. It'll make him go crazy. I know, he's, He'll be very excited. He's brilliant. And 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 if you have you never had it in a party? I've had a couple. And I the, like to cook. Do the cats join in? Well, I hadn't had Charlie. Usually they mind their own business, but I imagine Charlie would be a problem. I think Charlie I did, would hang out. Yeah. I, the, I did, he'd, he'd get on the table and Of course, eat. yeah, he's he does. very handsome. Yeah, he's annoying. I had a cat who died recently. We had to put him down. He was called Solomon. 
It's a good name. And he was a rescue. He was called Pedro when we found him. Yeah. He had a tag on that said Pedro. Yeah. And he was from Hurricane Sandy. Apparently, he'd oh, been wow. found floating down the Fifth Avenue on a crate. That's what they Wild. said. At the, at good the story. Uh, yeah. Creation myth. I think they made it up. Yeah. And he just was like, meow, meow. My son and I said we have to take, and we named him Solomon. He lived really long. And then he had one eye removed. He had glaucoma. And then he got a cancer on his right back leg. So he uh. had three legs, one eye. And then he, he just got too old. But we, his, uh, he was a great cat. That's sweet. Great personality. You know what's great about um, uh, cats? What? Is whenever you want one, you just go get one. <laughs> There's never a shortage of cats. That's so true. <laughs> it's so true. So, you know, whenever you're ready, just go grab one. Another one. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Solly's hard. He's was still kind of mourning Solly. I get it. I had two. I put, I put down a few, but there were two. There were two. Buster was a kitten with the old guys, and they both died within months of each other. That really? I put them down. Yeah, the Do you sit with them as they go to sleep? I did. Those two, yeah. Yeah. My mom used to say that they're going to the happy hunting ground. Sure. And then just take them away. No, I mean, like, my parents, when I was a kid, I never sat with any of them going to sleep. No, nor did I. Yeah, they were just sort of like, well, they're gone. Not, yeah. They've gone to the happy hunting ground. That's right. Yeah. And, and then when you're older, you got to make that choice. Yeah. Are you going to hold the cat? Yeah, we held him. It's good. Yeah, yeah. I actually took my son, so he yeah. was there. Yeah. It's like a painless thing. Because that, but that moment where they, the second shot, you're like, oh. yeah. yeah. It's hard. Okay. Well, that was a nice way to end. I'm oh, sorry. That was, <laughs> oh, but we're, I think we're talking about our love, our love of them. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I try to be like kind of. I'm not cynical, but I'm, I get a little callous about it. But like, I can't. Like this Buster's yeah, was he had some health things recently. I freak out, you know. I just freak out because you don't want to go through that. Even though like they're just they're these cats, you get attached to them very much. Yeah, and they just sort of like you know, oh, is this going to happen now? Do we got to do this? I waited too long with one of them. She just got so loopy and fucked up. Really? Yeah, but you know, you you get in denial where you're sort of like, today was good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And my friend, actually, Rebecca, who yeah. grew up on a farm in right. Maine, and she came oh, over, yeah. and she's she knows, and she went, Rachel, yeah. it's time. Yeah, farm people. Are I just... said, how do you know? She went, because I'm a farm girl. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, okay, I'm so city. I'm so urban. I'm like, okay, it's time. It's time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Farm people are the worst. They're like, oh, you got to get rid of it. It's like, but it's, yeah, it's time, though. You know, they just, <laughs> yeah. just got this thing yeah. about, uh, oh, my God. Don't you love people that have that knowledge, though? I do. I do. It makes me feel like, you know, uh, I got to toughen up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I do, too. But, yeah. I, but, yeah. So what are you, what's going on? Did you tell me? What are you going to do? I don't know. Are you going to do another Marvel movie? I haven't been asked to. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know what I'm. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing next. If that, do you mean like a next job? Yeah. Don't know. Don't know. Yeah, yeah this. I'm just sort of. Uh, yeah, I don't know. When are you going back to uh, wherever to Brooklyn? I go back to Brooklyn tomorrow morning. Came, How long have you been out here? I came in late last night. Just for this? Yeah, yeah, for this and for uh, a, an event. Tonight. Uh, oh, as yeah. Well. Yeah. What is it? You, know, you have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to get in the car when they tell you? <laughs> no, it, it's, it's for Amazon. It's, oh, um, yeah. it's like launching the season. Oh, good. So here's your outfit. 
the car is going to be here in an hour, that kind of thing? I, I have I, I have, brought a, I have a brown dress. You brought the brown dress. I'm going to wear my brown dress, yeah. Hair yeah. and makeup, your, the groomer will come at what time? Um, 5.45. Okay. Yeah. Well, have fun. Good talking Thank to you. Thank you, Mark. Really good to talk to you. I feel like I talked at you a lot. No, you, you, right. you, you like have you. It uh, gen, uh, genuinely, it's like the most interesting right. impressions I've heard okay. from right. anyone. Well, thank you. I was a little shattered by the whole thing, in a good way. All right, I'm going to stop talking. Okay. Okay, there you go. I did it. Dead Ringers are streaming on Prime Video. Hang out for a second, people. Hey, folks, this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show. Well, actually, you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing. But take my word for it, people definitely sneeze in here. And when they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Rachel mentioned being a Cambridge alum with Sasha Baron Cohen, and I talked to Sasha back in 2016 all about his time at Cambridge, the stage and comedy work he did there, and his studies in clowning. When I was in university, I came up with this character called Solly. He was a he was an idiot. You yeah, know? He, was, he was like my first kind of real character. Yeah, and I came up with it one night, and I had my roommate came back, and I go, "I want to play you this tape," and he started really laughing hard, and. Um, a friend of mine in the sort of acting group in university said he'd just gone to this to this clown course run by this guy called Philip Golier. He's famous, right? Famous and he's clown. like the clown teacher in the world. People people sort of travel from around the world to see him. He was uh, part of this school called uh, Le Coq. Uh huh. Yeah. And Le Coq that's in where Paris. It comes from. Exactly. Yeah, that's where the word comes from. <laughs> And so I decided, all right, let me try and find out whether this idiotic character I was doing is actually a clown character. I want to kind of learn about it. And so I ended up, I left university and studied with this guy for, for how long? Over about six months. Really? Yeah. And was it amazing? Oh, incredible. This is this guy is the legendary guru for any person who wants to be a professional idiot around the world. That's episode 683, and it's available for free in the podcast feed you're using right now. To sign up for WTF Plus and get every WTF episode ad-free, go to the link in the episode description or go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF Plus. Guitar time.
Boomer lives. Monkey and the Fonda, cat angels everywhere. <laughs>